And that reading this morning will be one that complements the preaching text, Psalm 84, the 84th Psalm. As you're turning there, the superscription says it's for the director of music. Then it says, according to the the Gittit, which I have no idea what that is. It must be the style of music. Maybe it's reggae or something. I'm just not sure. But you'll sense the longing. You'll sense the longing of the heart of the psalmist. Psalm 84. Hear now the word of our Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And then in verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man. Who trusts in you. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I do not like roller coasters. I never have and I never will. But God in his providence, and some might say God with his sense of humor, gave me two children who out of the womb wanted to be on a roller coaster. I remember going to those amusement parks. Parents, you can remember those where you would say you have to be this tall to go on the, on the uh, roller coaster. And my kids, both Heather and Brandon, getting up there and getting on, on the top of their toes, they couldn't wait to go on the roller coaster. Now you take that and you combine it with the fact that Chris is somehow convinced that there is a Bible verse that says mothers don't have to go on roller coasters. (laughs) Now I've never found that verse, but in our home it doesn't matter. If mom doesn't want to go, somebody else is going. So I've been on more roller coasters than you could ever imagine. I don't know why I don't like them. I don't think it has to do with how fast they go. I get into trouble with liking to go fast sometimes. And it certainly couldn't be the up and down and around motion. I grew up in West Virginia. I love to drive around those hills sometimes too fast. So it couldn't be that. You know what my kids say to me? It's because I can't control the things. (sighs) I'm not going to listen to them, I don't think. Well, if you have that image in your mind, then it might help you to understand this morning's message a little better. Because one thing that I like even less than physical roller coasters is a roller coaster experience in my walk with God. Do you know what I'm talking about there? This this 
high and low, these times where we come into church, such as we do this morning, perhaps there will be a time where God breaks into our lives. We recommit ourselves to him and, and we have that passion. It's real to us again. And then we go back home, back into the workplace, back into the school, and it's all back to the way it was. God seeming to be far away, us seeming to be walking away from him. It's that high and that low. I'll tell you, one of the longings that I have for my own life is that I would have an ever-growing, ever more consistent walk with God. Oh, I, I long for those times where God breaks into my life, and, and, and they do happen. But my prayer is that there wouldn't be those times where we crash back down and enter into what the author George MacDonald calls times of dryness. Times of dryness. Times where God seems to be far away. Um, and as I've come here as your pastor, one of my deepest longings for us as a church is that first, those of you who come here may enter into a real relationship with God through faith in Christ. You know that there are many people who go to church who don't really have that genuine walk with God. You know that, don't you? You don't take it for granted that just because people show up at church that they have a real personal relationship with God. And my prayer is that as you come here, you'll know that this message is true and that you'll come to embrace it and that you'll come alive to to God through faith in Jesus. And then my prayer is that our walk with God may become ever more constant, ever more constant, more genuine, that that when people watch us in the community, they will see people who authentically are growing in their knowledge of God and in our love of God. They'll say that that's the real thing. Those aren't yet perfect people there at Lake Avenue Church, but but they're growing and it's genuine. That's what I am longing for to happen among us. And that's why I have brought us to these uh, verses today. They've become very special verses for me. Uh, And I put it on a card here for you so that uh, perhaps if God speaks to you today through them, you'll be able to take this and put these verses some some place where you can always see them. Um, Maybe on your refrigerator if you like to eat. (laughs) Maybe on your bathroom mirror if that's a place where you spend more time. I don't know. But just look at them. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep, keep your spiritual fervor as you serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. And be faithful in prayer. From Romans 12, 11 and 12. Uh, Do you see that the Apostle Paul is saying it must be possible to keep spiritual fervor. uh, To maintain that spiritual zeal. And that's what I want us to think about so simply in the moments that we have together today. Now, before we come back to that text, I want to stop for just a moment because I thought maybe one thing that would help us as a community is this. If we would think about uh, what might harm any kind of human relationship, because, you know, this matter of sometimes feeling very close to someone and then at other times not as close. That's not just true of our walk with God. It's also true of our human relationships, right? In our families, in our marriages, and in our friendships. So I've I've been asking myself, what might harm the the fervor, the passion in a human relationship? And I've thought of three different enemies to passion in a relationship. Uh, Think about them with me. You may think of others, but these seem to embrace them. Uh, Number one is what I'll just call disappointment. We fail, or others fail us. We let one another down, and it's hard to have passion in a relationship 
when we have disappointed one another. Uh, sometimes that disappointment is with that other person. We have shared so much with that other person and they have broken our trust. And I'll tell you, we're just angry. That other person has failed us. And uh, when we see them again, uh, the love that we have once had, that closeness that we once had, it simply isn't there in the same way. You understand that, don't you? So sometimes it's disappointment in that other person that harms our relationship to them. Sometimes, all right, sometimes we are the ones who are the disappointing ones, right? Uh, one of the hardest things in a human relationship and I used to talk about this when I did a lot of weddings, talking with young couples, is unfulfilled expectations. Uh, we expect things of one another, and then we don't carry through. And then, whether those expectations were realistic or not, the relationship is harmed. Quite frankly, it's been one of the things I've been concerned about. You know, starting as a new pastor, aren't there always these incredibly high expectations? What happens if I don't fulfill them? Well, let's lower them. Let, let us Because <laughs> we want this to be a long and strong relationship. Isn't it? That's my prayer. That is my prayer. The problem is, of course, sometimes we fail on our side of the relationship. Perhaps something has been entrusted to us as a, as a secret from a friend. And then it gets out and, and that friend knows who, who leaked it. Well, how do you feel when you see that friend coming toward you? Don't you feel like turning around and going in the other direction? Disappointment because of failure, because of sin sometimes. Uh, it's, a, it's a great enemy to passion in a relationship. I, I think a second enemy is simply exhaustion. Just exhaustion. We get worn out from all of the things that we have to do. Now, now listen to me. I think we can, in our heads, we can conceptually think about ourselves as human beings as being both physical and the immaterial parts, the material and the immaterial parts. But the reality is we're one whole person. And, and the physical part of us affects what happens internally. I mean, we, we sometimes can think I can just be working and working and working and, and just uh, I can be absolutely worn out and exhausted, but can continue to have some energy for a relationship. But I think we usually find that that doesn't happen. That when we're absolutely exhausted physically, then also we have virtually no energy to give to our human relationships because we're one whole person. So exhaustion harms our relationships on, on a human level. And then third, so simply, uh, is just a lack of time. <laughs> you know, it's called a relationship. And so, so we need time to relate to one another, even, even when we don't feel like it, being with one another and learning to listen to one another and sometimes struggling through some of those challenges with one another. That's what deepens a relationship. I think I've mentioned this in some of the question and answer times I've had here in different forums here, but there are two contradictory uh, maxims that are out there. One is absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think I've tried to point out to you that that one, in my experience, is rarely true. It may occasionally be true, but it's rarely true. The one that is much more true is out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. That when we have no time with one another, usually that relationship does not deepen. Now, let, let us take those three enemies and think about them with relationship uh, to our spiritual walk, our walk with God. And I, it seems to me... That the same three enemies affect 
our walk with the Lord. And that's what the Apostle Paul is taking on here. Take out your Bible again or that little card. Never be lacking in zeal, he says. So it must be possible. Uh, This command wouldn't be there if it were not possible to be able to have this constant, more faithful love of God. Keep your spiritual fervor in your service, in your service of the Lord. I want you to see, too, where this verse happens. In Romans chapter 12, that chapter began with, Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The first 11 chapters of Romans tell us all that God has done for us, that we don't deserve it. All of us have fallen short. Talk about failing in a relationship. We have done it toward God, but God loves us anyway. Oh, hallelujah. He loves us anyway. And uh, he has offered a way for our lives to be made right, right with him, right with one another, right with the world. And it's through what he did in Jesus. Uh, So he has this promise that he'll forgive us, he'll remake us, and he won't be done until he's finished with the work and we will be conformed to the image of Christ. Therefore, in view of all that God has done, his mercy shown to us, offer your bodies to him. That's what worship really is about. Offering your bodies and your minds to be conformed. Then, when you have offered yourself to him, then everything changes, he says. You live differently in this world. And that's what the rest of the book of Romans is about. You start serving alongside of one another without pride. Uh, Verse 9 of Romans 12, you start loving with a sincere love. Uh, You're devoted to one another in, in, in brotherly love. Verse 14, you bless those even who persecute you. You don't curse them. Verse 16, we begin living in harmony with one another. Chapter 13, we start living as good citizens in the world. All sorts of things happen whenever we have offered ourselves to God fully. But notice, in the midst of this talking about how we live in relationship to one another, these two verses come. As a, almost a trumpet blare that the only way to live well on the human plane is to make sure that our spiritual relationship, our relationship with God, is right. Now the question is, how? Right? (laughs) You can have your pastor up here preaching all the time. You've got to have more zeal. You've got to have more fervor. But the reality is in this world where we still live by faith, not yet by sight, where so many things happen that are so tough, it is sometimes difficult to maintain a deep and personal relationship with God when sometimes he seems to be far away and we don't understand what he's doing. And what the Apostle Paul gives, if I read this right, is first the command in verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, keep that spiritual fervor as you serve the Lord. And then in verse 12, he tells us how. Three simple directives. And they seem to me to be the antidotes Uh, The solutions to those three great enemies, to relationships that I just mentioned. Uh, Look at them with me. Number one, it seems to me in, in, in dealing with the disappointment that we often have in what is taking place, here's what he says, be joyful in hope. Now, I've called it Christian hope. Because Christian hope is different from the way the world talks about hope. You know that, don't you? The way we generally use this word hope, it's something very uncertain. Uh, Well, I I sure hope it's going to work out. I was just looking right on the front row. Chuck Olson is up here. And uh, USC, I don't know if you know, lost a few games. 
And uh, going into the game yesterday, uh, I told him my message last week on dealing with loss was just for him. And because he wants me to do more sermons on victory, he said. But often when we think about the future and big, big games, you know, well, I hope, I hope that when it's so uncertain. But biblical hope is very, very different. It is something that will happen. It has not yet happened. We're in the midst of something that, that is challenging, but, but there is this certain hope that God is still there. And that in the midst of all sorts of things, God is still working. And even in those times where there is disappointment, we as Christians always have this hope that gives us the possibility of having joy. Be, be joyful in hope. Now, what kind of disappointment? All right. First, we have to realize that sometimes our disappointment is with God. And Phil, Philip Yancey wrote a book about that entitled Disappointment with God. Last week, I tried to deal with it in my message to you just a little bit, in which we thought about when we have these times of loss, when they are so painful. We're disappointed because we can't really figure out what God is doing. It makes no sense to us. And if we're honest, all of us have or have had those times in our lives where we're simply what we expected in our relationship with God is not happening. We've shown up at church. Uh, we have gone to Bible studies. We've been spending some time in prayer and still those things that we might expect God to do in our businesses, in our marriages, in our families, they are not happening. And so that disappointment comes. Now, what is the Christian hope that changes that? Do you know that on Tuesday mornings or Tuesday afternoons, I meet with three young men, um, Jeremy Rose, uh, Albert Tate and Adam Wynn. And we talk about these texts that we're going to be preaching about uh, at that time. And I can't remember which one of them. I think it was Jeremy who I said, "I, I need some help with this hope. And he said this. Sometimes it's hard for us as human beings to have this kind of hope for things that are bigger than ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to hold on that something is going to happen that is bigger than what we could ever imagine. That is bigger than what we have ever experienced in our lives, because so many times the painful things we go through only seem to do harm And the acknowledgement that there is something you and I can always hold on to, that God is at work, that goes beyond anything we have ever seen, is truly a matter of Christian faith. Now, Paul had talked about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Uh, He says, hope that's already seen. That's no hope at all. (laughs) Who hopes for what he already has? (laughs) But if we hope for what we do not have, then we can wait for it patiently. And then he tells us sometimes when, when we need to have this hope, we don't even know how to pray in the midst of it. You see it? How are you going to be joyful in hope when you don't even quite know how to pray or what to ask for? And then here is that great statement of, of what brings us hope. Verse 28 of Romans 8. Because we know that in all things, God is at work for those who love him, for the good of those who love him, for the good of those who have been called according to his plan. See, there is where the disappointment is with God. The more you come to know God, the more you come to know that he often uses those things you don't understand to bring about his work. A cross to bring about our rescue. 
And so in the midst of whatever happens, when sometimes we feel disappointed with God, there is always hope. We have to come back sometimes and cast our eyes on him. But there is always hope. Now, now, here comes the personal part. Sometimes the disappointment is not with God, but with ourselves, right? We have failed. And then we come into church and sometimes we don't even feel like being there because God knows about us. You know, I've been at this a long time. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I've been a pastor for a long time. And I could hardly tell you how many people have come and talked to me about the fact that as they look at their lives, they just wonder whether it's ever possible for God really to use them fully and powerfully again. Um, Sometimes there's been a moral indiscretion or a break in a marriage relationship, a financial failure, and then uh, the, the family finds out about it and the circle of friends find out about it. Then the church finds out about it. You don't even want to show up again. You feel like, yes, yes, I know the message that the blood of Christ is sufficient for my forgiveness. But, but I think you can understand that so many people feel that at best they'll always sort of be on the second rung. You know, kind of a B-minus uh, Christian that God will never fully use them again. Do you know what message I have for you? Be joyful in hope. God knows about that failure and stands with arms open wide. The great message of the gospel, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from just a little bit of that unrighteousness. Oh, no. Can you still rejoice to cleanse us from all the unrighteousness, to welcome us back in again, to tell us that this message, and I love this phrase, that God's renewing grace is real. Grace, we don't deserve it. Renewing, he will make it new again. He will use us again. I'll tell you one of the most beautiful parts of being a follower of Jesus is we never have to wallow in the past. Now, we have to be open about it and bring it to him. The confession must be there. But when we do, we will find him welcoming us. And brothers and sisters, in a family like this one that that names itself as followers of Jesus, we also have to be people who receive and set free for service again. There is always hope. It's one one of the differences that Christ makes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To the disappointment that so often robs us of our passion, we gather in this place and we hear the gospel again that God knows his forgiveness is sufficient and he is ready to make all things new. The antidote to to that disappointment is Christian hope. All right. Second, I'll speak quicker. Christian patience, which to me is the, the antidote to this exhaustion piece. And, and the phrase is, be patient in affliction. Now, why is that there? Be joyful in hope. That's also positive. It's, be patient in affliction. Why is that there? You know why it's there, don't you? 
Because in this world, sometimes it's hard to be joyful in hope. <laughs> we come and we say, yes, I know you're sufficient. Then we go back there in, into our homes and into the workplace. And we still have those same people sitting beside us who get on our nerves. We still have those same strains in our families. We, we, we get this little moment of respite to cast our eyes upon God and to know he's there for it. Then we get back into the midst of those afflictions and find it is so hard to continue on. What does Paul say when we're just being, being worn out and sometimes we just want to give up? Well, as one who understood afflictions well, and he did, just read 2 Corinthians and you'll see it. He said, be patient. Don't give up. Continue on until you see the work of the Lord complete. Now, I call it Christian patience, just as I called it Christian hope, because Christian patience is different from just sort of grinning and bearing it. Uh, you know, Paul was writing a long time ago, right? He was writing in the first century world, and there was a whole other philosophy other than Christian teaching that talked about patience. It was called Stoicism. The whole notion was you just kind of grind it out. Uh, It doesn't really lead anywhere. It's just called resign yourself, resignation, resign yourself to the fact that there are hardships and just somehow, just somehow bear it. Without any prospect that it will ever be different. What is Christian patience about? Christian patience is wed to hope. We continue on waiting, waiting, because we even know that sometimes the struggle itself, the struggle itself, sometimes is a part of what God uses to do his work in our lives. Isn't that true? Sometimes even those moments of pain are the times that God uses most powerfully to do his work in us. One of my prayers has been, Father, help me to grow dependent upon you in good times so that you don't have to send the tough ones. (laughs) I want to learn to do that. But the fact is, so much of our growth happens and so much of the maturing of our lives happens in the midst of the struggle. Uh, James will say, let that patience have its perfect work. Let it complete its work in you until until God remakes you and, and helps you to become what he would have you to be. Now, I've, I've been searching for an illustration of this. I don't know if this is a good one, but it's the best one I could come up with. I keep using these West Virginia illustrations. Someday I'll start using California ones, so you, you'll see. But I grew up, where I grew up, there, there was a hill that went just straight up, and, it, and, and the, the road alongside of it was still a gravelly dirt road. Now, as a kid, I'd get on my bicycle, and I kept riding up that hill. Uh, sometimes I'd fall. I still have a, a scar here in my hand from the time I fell uh, off the bicycle. I would go up that hill. You may remember this, uh, those of you who used to ride bicycles. I'd put all of my weight on one side, and, and you know it was just barely enough, and the bike would start wobbling, and my back would start hurting, and then all of my weight on the other side, and over and over it until I got to the top of the hill. It was painful. And, and I would do it over and over again. Does that frighten you, this... Sound like masochism for, from your pastor? <laughs> Let me tell you why I did it. Because I knew that the top of the hill was right there. And I knew that when I got to the top of that hill, it was one fantastic ride down the other side. So that all of the struggle was worth it. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes we're in the midst of that struggle and you and I, from our limited perspective, cannot see the top 
of that hill. But I tell you, we gather here and I'll tell you, God knows. He knows where it is. We don't know what tomorrow holds. He does. Our lives are in his hands. And as we grow weary, we are to be patient and continue on. Not simply because we just kind of grin and bear it, but because there is purpose. There is purpose. God, who is sovereign in this world, is doing something. And so when we feel exhausted and just want to quit, be patient. Even when there are afflictions, be patient. And as we are, we will, in his time, see the presence and the work and the purpose of God. So the antidote to the disappointment is be joyful in hope. The antidote to the just wanting to give up because we're tired is be patient. It's worth it. Be patient even in afflictions. And then thirdly, the key to it all is what I call Christian prayer or Christian relationship. Keep those power lines open. And you see that third phrase, be faithful in prayer. This is the central aspect of this message of how we maintain a fervent relationship with God, how it becomes more and more constant because we've got to face it. So much of our disappointment and so much of our exhaustion spiritually comes because we haven't been spending time with God. What this is calling us to is a disciplined prayer life. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Philippians. I'll paraphrase it. He said, be anxious in this world about nothing, but in everything. Well, you know what he tells you to do. Pray. And when you do, he says, the peace of God that goes beyond any kind of human understanding will guard your hearts and mind. So he says, in this world where sometimes it's hard to have hope and it's hard to be patient, there is an opportunity God gives us to have our lives and our hearts guarded, surrounded, provided for. But the key to it is that we are spending time with God in prayer. Now, I am guessing at a nine o'clock service at Lake Avenue Church that very few of you are coming and hearing a pastor talk for the first time in your life about being people of prayer. Right. This first time you've ever heard a sermon on prayer. I think most of you could preach a sermon on prayer, probably far better than I can ever preach. So I jotted a few things down. We know that there are many reasons why we should pray. We ought to pray because Jesus Christ is worthy of us spending some time with him. Right? Yes. Okay. I keep forgetting it's nine o'clock. Okay. We ought to pray second because we need to spend time with God. Third, we need to pray because the people around us here, when they go through hard times, they need us to intercede for them. We need to be praying with and for one another. I mean, you can say so many more things. Then why is it that so often we are not disciplined people in prayer? We discipline ourselves to do so many things. You disciplined yourself to get to church on time. Some of you to get to church on time this morning. You, you discipline yourself to, uh, to get to work on time. We discipline ourselves in so many ways. But here we see that one of the parts of our walk with God is, is establishing the sort of spiritual Discipline, And I'll tell you, there is no reason to go up to the pastor or a counselor or someone and say, you know, my my spiritual life isn't very good if you haven't been spending any time with the Lord. Uh, again, an illustration. Can you imagine going to a, a medical doctor and saying, I have just this, this last 
two or three weeks. I've just been exhausted. Do you have anything that you can give me? A new medication. You know, a, a new therapy that will give me a, a renewed energy. I've been to doctors long, but I think you're better than most of those doctors. Do you have some, something new for me? And the doctor, as a good doctor will do, will say, before I give you anything, let me just ask you a few questions. Now, first, tell me about your eating habits and your sleeping patterns. And then you become agitated. Why do all of you doctors ask the same thing? Meddling in my life. Asking me about my my eating habits and my sleeping patterns. Oh, okay, I'll tell you. I decided that all that's a waste of time. That's just old-fashioned stuff. I gave up eating and sleeping three weeks ago. Now, do you have some new medication or therapy for me that will help me to have a renewed energy? What would the doctor say? Go back home. Eat some good meals. Get some sleep, and if you're still worn out, then come back and see me. In a a, a very similar way, when God seems to be far away, the first question to ask is, have you been spending some time with him? And by that I mean slowing down, being with him, or where it's hard for you to do it, do you have a group of people who can help and join with you in prayer when, when it's hard for you to do it at that time? Because we have to be faithful, faithful in prayer. And, and, and brothers and sisters, let me just give you a couple of helps. They've been helpful to me. Uh, one, I encourage you to find a specific time and place to meet with God. A time and place. Now, this may sound a little bit silly to you, but I don't think it is. I have one chair in my office where when I sit in that chair... That's where I pray. I meet God there. Does that mean that God can't meet me somewhere else? You know, God is not limited by time and space the way that you and I are, but he's made us to be creatures of time and space. And there are certain things we do in certain times and certain spaces. I imagine that after I've been here for a while, I'll I'll be able to take some attendance here because I'm guessing that most of you will start coming to the same service and sitting in the same place. It's just the way that's just the way we are built and I think to, to access that, it is a tremendously helpful thing to find a time and a place to meet with God. Now, I want to have a bit of a heart for many of you. I've talked about this for so many years, and there are certain people in the life of the church who find it almost impossible to find a time and place. And the ones that I've found have the greatest challenge are young mothers. Uh, when I've talked about this, where on earth do I find a time and place <laughs> With these little kids at home, I never have one inch of space to myself and not one moment of time. I wish I could be helpful. I wish I could be helpful. Begin praying about it. There may be some place and some time when you can seize just a few moments away from the kids and away from others simply to be with God. Because I think that, that what happens is even when you don't feel like it, you'll, you'll start making a part of your life that at this time I'll go. And when you go there... You meet with him and things change. Uh, A second help for me is to make sure that I have a group of people that I can pray with. And in a big church like this, sometimes it's hard to find that group. And so we would like to offer you that opportunity. If you will contact us either by dropping an email just to info at lakeab.org or giving us a call here or seizing one of the people who goes past that looks like one of our pastors (laughs) 
we will seek to find a group that can join you in prayer. Because you, you simply find that where two or three of you are gathering in prayer, others can sometimes carry your burdens easier than you can carry your own. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes when you're going through tough times and you, you start bearing somebody else's burdens, yours seem to be lighter. A part of this faithful in prayer is finding a few other brothers and sisters to join with you. And let me tell you, I have never met a Christian, not a single one, who says to me, well, you know, my prayer life is strong, but the rest of my spiritual life is weak. These two are tied so closely together. As we become faithful in prayer, uh, we hear again that God's forgiveness is sufficient and that his presence is there. Uh, the disappointment fades. And as we are faithful in prayer, the ability to wait upon the Lord is renewed. So this is my message for you. My deepest prayer that I as your pastor may be one whose life is less like a roller coaster and more and more like one that shows a constant ever deepening love for God and for the people for whom Christ gave his life. And it is my prayer that as we meet Lake Avenue people all over the community, what we will see and what others will see is a group of people who are never lacking in zeal, growing to, to keep their spiritual fervor as they serve the Lord. And that perhaps these three directives from the word of God will be things that are deeply embedded in our hearts and souls and mind. Brothers and sisters, be joyful in hope. Be patient even when there are afflictions. And be faithful in prayer to his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, now I pray that you will take this your word and through your spirit do your work in our lives. We pray that our walk with you may be real and may be genuine, may be evident to all who watch. So, Father, use this word both to assure us of the hope that is always there in Christ Jesus and of your presence to make all things new. As we continue on to bring this service to a close, continue to do your work in and through our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John is going to come and lead us in a great hymn. We have some of our ministry council folks, some of our pastors, and some of our um, prayer uh, team who will be up here at the front. If you simply need to have someone to pray with this morning, God has seemed to be far away, or just something you would like to say, will you pray with me about this? Be sure to come, even as we're singing this hymn. Let's stand together as we do so. If someone wants to get out, be sure to let them out, and uh, we will pray with you in any way that we can uh, to God's glory.